Hey, how about this, listeners? Thanks again for tuning in to yet another episode of How About This. We have a great show for you today. This is a topic that is super near and dear to the hearts of both myself and Jordan, but we do want to give a little disclaimer before we get into this show. Nothing bad, of course, but we just want to let you know as listeners, we recorded these episodes very far in advance, and this is an episode that we recorded back over the summer of 2020. When we recorded this, there was very, very little news about what was going on with the third Spider-Man movie that was going to come out. Rumors about Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina, Kirsten Dunst all showing up in this movie had not surfaced on the internet yet. So if we did this pitch today, it would be very, very different, most likely. This is also before we heard anything about WandaVision in terms of what the show was going to be about. In a pre-multiverse world when it comes to the MCU, this is our pitch for Spider-Man and these are our ideas on how we would handle the Spider-Man films had they continued onward before any of this news came out. Now we touch a little bit on its connection to Doctor Strange and even Scarlet Witch but things have changed massively since we recorded this episode. Now, we still think this episode's a ton of fun to listen to and that some of these things might actually happen. We just touch on the multiverse very, very little. So get your web shooters ready and we hope you enjoy this new episode of How About This? Hello there, podcast listeners. This is Mike Staub here again for another episode of How About This? You know the gist. And today we're talking about a property that is very near and dear to my heart. And it's also near and dear to the heart of my lovely and wonderful co-host, Mr. Jordan Hugh, who was not bitten by a radioactive spider, but... Just my penis. My penis was bitten. My penis has eight legs. It's been very difficult for me. That's, that's a hard uh, life. You know, in, in terms of dating. Uh, <laughs> some girls are into it and they're like, oh, cool, eight legs. And others are like, I can't, I can't do this. Yeah, I, I totally understand why that could be either a problem or the best thing ever. I don't know. Yeah, just it's- like the character from The Tick, though. I, do, I wear a leotard that says eight legs. <laughs> right on my chest instead of four legs. Um, so they, they have an idea of what they're getting into. Wow, that show. Wow, the tick. A short sidebar. The tick was so good. I have yet to see the newest tick, but I don't I think a lot of people haven't seen the newest tick. I think that was the problem. They they somehow failed to connect with tick fans while oh, we're on the subject of, of bug related superheroes. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a shame because I, from what I've heard that new tick was actually pretty good. Um I actually even enjoyed the Patrick Warburton tick. Uh, for whatever it's worth, it's not none of, none of it's as good as the cartoon, but it's 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 okay. It's not bad. Yeah, I appreciate that we're doing this uh, Spider-Man episode though, because of course the the very first episode of this podcast, which our listeners may or may not know, was centered on my favorite superhero, Batman. So now yeah. we're, we're finally getting to Mike's favorite superhero, which has been Spider-Man for as long as I've known Mike. Mike has been a Spider-Man promoting person. Yes, I've always been a giant fan of Spider-Man ever since I was a a little kid. I actually my earliest memories of being a Spider-Man fan date back to when I was probably about three, three and a half, four years old. And my parents had gotten me some Spider-Man pajamas that I refused to take off. And they had the little Velcro cape that you could stick on the back, even though Spider-Man never really had a cape at that point in time. He should have. 
he should have. I mean, Spider-Man 2099 eventually had a cape. But yeah, I remember that was kind of my earliest memory with the character. I had that and I would buy the Toy Biz action figures that Marvel put out in the early 90s with the gray packaging and like, the, you know, the blister packaging. And the Spider-Man figures were always terrible because for some <laughs> reason... They always made the action figure have these suction cups on his hands. Oh my God, I remember that. I, I had one of those. Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. And then the cups would lose any suction once yeah. you started to really use them. Use the cups like once or twice. It would fall off of everything. And it was just like, I want a Spider-Man figure that actually, you know, works that I can actually fight with. And I could make it like he's crawling on the walls. I don't need a suction cup. It's yeah, called make-believe. Like we, we didn't really get that until the cartoon, which came along quite a bit later. And that cartoon's rife with problems. Yeah, so, though it was better than what we had, so I think we still appreciated it. Yeah, at that point in time, the only real media you had with Spider-Man was that you had the original 1967 Spider-Man cartoon with that gave also us the fam- also yeah. terrible that gave us the very famous theme song, and then you had Spider-Man in the 80s, which there was Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends, which ended up being the more popular of the shows. But I remember as a kid getting Spider-Man VHS tapes of like two episodes of this other 80s cartoon where Spider-Man would just go on spider adventures. Was that with Firestar and Iceman, or I'm thinking of something else? No, that is it. So Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends was its own show where he was friends with Iceman and Firestar, and Firestar actually falls into the same category as characters like Harley Quinn and Spider-Woman, where they were created for the cartoon and eventually were brought into the comic books because they were so popular. There was another show that used the same animation style, same voice actors, but it was just called Spider-Man, and it happened around the same time, and Spider-Man would do his normal thing he'd fight whatever villains he was fighting and it was always ridiculous because those cartoons probably had strange rights issues which has kind of followed spider-man along his right through to today yeah Yeah, yeah. to today there's always some sort of weird licensing rights issue with the character and in those days you would see random licenses thrown together in these cartoons so it would be spider-man fighting dr doom which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense but all those cartoons that happened around the 80s with the fantastic four or spider-man there was a captain america cartoon they were always fighting strange villains that didn't always work. I remember seeing a an episode of the Fantastic Four that came around around that time where they fought Magneto, which makes no sense. So it's one of those things where cartoons always handle the character very strange. But like you said, at that time, the 1990s, 1995 Spider-Man cartoon was probably the best we could get. And it was hilarious because Spider-Man wasn't allowed to punch anyone. They didn't allow punching or hitting or any of yeah, that on any of the weird, cartoons. It was a weird show. Yeah. So Spider-Man would like swing his fist and like there would be like colors thrown behind him. And it looked like he was yeah, punching but you know what? the air. It, to, to be fair, though, the, the show, yes, had a ton of problems. Absolutely. But actually, the toy line was good. Toy line was I remember being thankful for that because I was still pretty young. I was definitely playing with action figures and it was a good time. Yeah, the toy the toy line was great. Uh, they had great versions of the Kingpin, Hobgoblin, the Spider Slayers. Spider-Man had a couple, a couple of really great versions of it. Uh, they had actually the first Green Goblin figure that I really loved was from that toy line. And since then, I think he's always been my favorite of the comic book villains yeah we definitely had the same toy uh, what were what were some of the first spider-man comics you remember reading or buying do you remember like your yes. first run or when mm-hmm. you first started collecting yeah the first spider-man comic i got i bought from i want to say it was a comic book store in hicksville new york called golden memories <laughs> comics yep 
yep, which sure. uh, was notorious at the time. And What's funny still- is that Mike, Mike and I didn't meet until middle school, but we, we lived in the same town and we shop at the same comic book stop. So yeah, Golden Memories was also my first comic book uh, shop. Go ahead, Mike. It was my first shop. I eventually moved over to the Asylum, which was in Levittown. It was there for a very short period of time, but it was a really great comic book shop while it was there. Great action figure selection there as well. The first Spider-Man comic book I remember reading and getting was a Spider-Man. It had to have been 1992. So it was a 30th anniversary Spider-Man book. And I think it was the Amazing Spider-Man version of the 30th anniversary. And that- that, Is that the uh, red book with the hollow cover? I had this, I think it was a silver book or it might've been, it might've been a real, I don't remember which one. It might've been amazing. It might've been spectacular. All I know is that the, the issue that I had, Spider-Man was fighting the lizard and trying to keep the lizard away from harming his own son. That I remember. And that was uh, a Spider-Man fights the lizard in a sewer and it was great. And it was my introduction really to Spider-Man as a comic book character. I'd always liked the toys and, you know, had the pajamas obviously. And I liked him as a kid. But at that point in time is when I really started reading comic books. And at that point in 19, 1992, that was when Spider-Man was kind of changing and they turned him away from his classic villains like the Green Goblin and they shoved all these alien symbiotes in our face. So that was kind of the era of like Venom and Carnage and Maximum Carnage was like the first big crossover I remember going out of my way to try to get all the issues for. And right. it was it was difficult because it was 13 issues or 14 issues across all five at the time Spider-Man titles. Five. So th- yeah, ridiculous. So you and I started reading comics, I I would gather, around the same time. I don't know that I was collecting at a very, very young age, but I remember always having comics. Part of that was because my stepbrother was a collector, or perhaps still is a collector, but he was always reading really hardcore stuff. And this is important because he's the one that first mentioned the name Todd McFarlane to me. And once I heard that name, life sort of changed because the first Spider-Man books I ever saw were McFarlane's run on the Spider-Man titled Spider-Man books. And I thought just the artwork was so cool and it looked so evil. And I was I was very young when those books were out. So I'm going to assume it was some time later that I was collecting. I think the year 1992 or 1993 sounds correct because if I look through my old Spider-Man collection, that seems to be the years I have the most books from was about from 1990 to about 1996. And that's not to say that I was collecting in 1990. I would have been four, so that's pretty much impossible. But I think I I had the gist of things by the time I was around seven or eight. And I do remember dedicatedly going to the comic book store by seven or eight when I would have sort of my mom park outside for 10 minutes and let me do my thing. I remember collecting a lot of books that were, yeah, definitely, Mike, around the same time as the symbiotes. But I think just before that, like an early run of comics I remember collecting were I was very interested in the Green Goblin character because that artwork with the jack-o'-lantern is just so cool. To this day, I, I love the Green Goblin. I love the way he looks. And that Sal Buscema art is just so iconic. So I think one of the first books or run of books I bought was a series called The Child Within, which is a, a Demetrius uh, written book. It's it's illustrated by Buscema. I kind of went from The Child Within, which was a, a pretty cool run of books. I think it was mostly in Spectacular was the title. Uh, and I kind of came over from that into everything else. I started buying lots of books that were out in that time. 91, 92, 93, all the way through the death of Harry Osborn and Spectacular Spider-Man 200, which of course launched us into Max Carnage, which at the time I thought was great. And now as an older person, I look back, I'm like, wow, this is bullshit. And then I stuck around for Power and Responsibility and I was buying all those side books and back issues. So that was really the core of my Spider-Man reading. That's where I got started, you know, as well as around that time. I didn't actually read the Harry Osborn stuff until later. Uh, That was something I I went back and read after that. Spectacular Spider-Man number 200 
100 still is a very iconic sure. cover of I think uh, for a know, lot Harry. of people, I think that that issue looms large for a lot of us as collectors. It's probably one of the better Spider-Man stories, especially of that era. Sure. Everything involving Harry and Peter's relationship is always very interesting, especially even back into when the comic book code was a thing and there were issues with Harry Osborn abusing drugs and sure. stuff like that. So that was a wow, big deal wow, too. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Now that you mention it, I, I totally see that the Goblin Serum is really just heroin addiction, basically, yep. it seems like. Uh, that totally makes sense now yeah, in the context of that. Yeah, that's kind of what it is for Harry. It's kind of like a heroin type situation. And you know what? I think that in those days when there was a comic book code, it was a big deal because parents and people were, were doing the same stuff they do now with video games and horror movies and comic books. It's like, oh, well, kids are going to read comic books and they're going to start, they're going to get violent and, and you can't, you have to put a code on it. But these are real stories, you know? They're telling stories of people they're trying to be as realistic as possible or at least as human as possible when you're dealing with superpowered people. And what Marvel has always done really well, which I always appreciate, is they've always been able to give us a sense of reality. Their characters are unforgivably human in a lot of these aspects, which is why I think Spider-Man is such a great character to begin with. Yeah. Because he's a superpowered individual who could conquer the world if he really wanted to. I mean, Spider-Man has like 30 powers. But in the end... He takes off the mask and the costume and he's a poor New York-based freelance photographer who doesn't have money, who lives in a, a rundown apartment most of his career, has to support his aunt, can barely support himself. And that's what makes Spider-Man so good, I think, in my, my point of view, is that he's a character that's fundamentally based about one, around one concept and that concept is responsibility, which I think is one of the core essential characteristics that a superhero should have. I think that too many superheroes are all about hey i'm powerful and i can fly through walls and i can punch people through time and i can blow stuff up and i'm super fast but do they have the aspect where they want to use those powers responsibly and while the quote gets misquoted over and over and over and over again the idea that with great power comes great responsibility or with great power there must also come great responsibility i think that's really important to the superhero mythos that's why spider-man has always been and i'll argue to till whenever while why Spider-Man has been the best superhero, in my opinion, it's because he has that. When Spider-Man does something poorly or he messes up or he forgets to do something, it weighs on him. And there yeah. are a few characters that do that. What's nice about Spider-Man is that he has maintained his appeal. Uh, I would say that characters like Iron Man or even Captain America, they kind of have these huge dips in popularity based on, I don't know, society, the age, whatever. You can see that. I always bring up that Iron Man was not an A-list tier one character until the Marvel films. But Spider-Man has always sort of retained his popularity. And by default, I would say, is the Marvel Comics flagship character. I think that's that's their mainstay. So what's what's going on with, uh, maybe we should talk about Spider-Man in film in general before we, we come to the modern age. Our first Spider-Man film, our first real Spider-Man film comes along in, what was it, 2002? Yeah, the first Spider-Man film by Sam Raimi came out in 2002. It was called Spider-Man. It was produced by Sony Pictures. And it was the biggest deal at the time because superhero movies were finally starting to happen again. Let's, let's, let's be fair here. Superhero movies, aside from Batman, were pretty much dead before Blade came out. Yeah. So Blade yeah. comes out in, what, 1999? Blade does not get enough credit. Blade completely was the forerunner for X-Men, which really blew the doors off. If Blade wasn't successful, I mean, Blade is a trilogy, too. Like, there are three very yes. successful Blade movies. Blade is a trilogy with one good movie, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, that's you could that could be said about a lot of those uh, superhero movies. I'm actually, days. I'm not knocking it. I actually enjoy all three Blade films, but I'm just, you know, 
They were good. They were. Good. This was that was kind of the birth of Marvel in films, right? We had had DC movies before. We obviously we had Superman, we had Batman, sure. but we had we hadn't had a lot of Marvel stuff in the in in film. We had Marvel cartoons. There were Marvel TV shows. You know, obviously the Hulk is the Incredible Hulk is a TV show that stands out to many people. And then we had all these cartoons from the you know seventies, eighties, and nineties. Yeah. Now in two thousand two, we get. Marvel's flagship character, which I always find interesting because within the universe, if you're in 616 and you're a citizen of 616 right now, you're walking around, the biggest superheroes around are the Avengers, right? They're the Avengers. They're the they're the world's biggest superheroes. They're Earth's mightiest heroes. Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, all these like monumental characters within the universe. And Spider-Man is just some kid from Queens. However, because his story resonates with pretty much regular people and especially a lot of teenagers, nerdy teenagers like we were, I think that's why he retains that top status. So in 2002, for his movie to finally come out after being in development hell for like years upon years upon years, when James Cameron was going to make a Spider-Man movie with Leonardo DiCaprio where the villain was Dr. Octopus but Dr. Octopus he thought he was Spider-Man it was very strange and eventually the we fuck? got this yeah yeah you could look that up it there's there's oh like samples of the script online no you shouldn't eventually we get Sam Raimi's Spider-Man with starring Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst and Willem Dafoe which is kind of Spider-Man's first foray onto the big screen and boy did we expect that movie to be absolutely terrible we had no hope for it even after the first X-Men movie at the time was pretty Right. good yeah and then spider-man was great spider-man was I, great i i remember loving that movie actually i i think that movie holds up i still like it it has problems but considering it is a an early marvel superhero movie it got a lot right it really did it got a lot right. Spider-Man looked pretty good. Costume was was as faithful to the comic books as they wanted to be at that time because that was a huge issue back in that period where it's like, ah, oh, we can't have them look exactly like they do in the comic books, as you can see with the X-Men, even though Blade didn't care. Blade was like, yeah, just make them look like Blade. But Spider-Man looked pretty good. They did some things with it. Obviously, his eyes aren't expressive. They don't move. His colors, his color palettes, uh, it's dulled down a little. He's not as bright. But this is a Spider-Man film that ultimately and while it was filmed beforehand ultimately released after september 11th yeah. and because of that everything kind of got darker for about 10 years movies in general were much darker over that period of time it was the nation was coping from this terror attack and people being killed and we, we saw that in all of our entertainment media sure and, and we were at war at that time exactly yeah. we were at war at that time too that movie even had to be edited because of implications due to 9-11 uh, there was a trailer for spider-man one of the first trailers of the movie that you could still find out there on youtube if you look for it where spider-man you don't see him in the trailer but you see these guys trying to rob a bank and as they escape the bank they get into a helicopter and all of a sudden from within the helicopter you see the helicopter stop and start to shake and eventually you see the helicopter get pulled back and it pans out and the helicopter is actually webbed up in between the twin towers so that was a part of the movie that they had to fully cut and sure, it delayed spider-man uh, a little bit because of that I, I don't know how long it delayed it but it delayed it for a, for a little while but that was the first movie that proved that spider-man could work as a film character i mean it made a ton of money it got two different sequels and and the sequels uh, it's got Spider-Man 2 is arguably better. Spider-Man 2 is quite, quite good. Spider-Man 2 is still, to me, one of the top superhero movies ever. I think that it did a lot of great, great things. It was a great use of the character. Sure. And I think it's also, Sam Raimi it's got did the, some great yeah, work. Yeah, it's got the best villain performance of the three films. Alfred Molina's Dr. Octopus was, in fact, so good that I actually sort of prefer him to the comic book Dr. Octopus. He was great. 
Yeah, I actually hope, and I they do more of that now with a lot of stuff with Doc Ock, is they kind of give him more of that role in Peter's life. If you play the Spider-Man game on PS4, which is excellent, by the way, it's probably the best of the Spider-Man games ever, Peter and... Dr. Octopus have a very similar relationship where he's kind of like his pupil. He works under him and they have that really close relationship. And when eventually it's revealed that Dr. Octopus is Dr. Octopus, it becomes, it's a really huge deal. And it's something that affects both Peter's life and Spider-Man's life, which I think is very important to the character. Yeah. Similar to Batman, right? You have Bruce Wayne and Batman as kind of two separate entities. And in the Spider-Man comic books, you have Peter Parker and Spider-Man, both who have two separate lives almost, to where when those lives cross is when Spider-Man gets himself into trouble. And you see that in those first two movies quite a bit, like when Green Goblin figures out that Peter Parker Spider-Man, or you see that cross when Spider-Man has to fight Dr. Octopus and Spider-Man 2. Sure, and I think that could be true of of any hero and their their arch nemesis. It's not always the case, but I think if you can position a villain so that they are in the crosshairs between the hero's alter ego and their hero identity, then you have a really great villain. That's that's why Norman works so well, or Harry, or yeah, in that interpretation of Dr. Octopus. It's also why some people prefer like a Harvey Dent to a Joker, because Harvey Dent is someone that Bruce knew in life and had a relationship with, and then obviously Obviously, that was different as as Batman, but it's it's a relationship that the character has simultaneously as both the hero and the identity of the alter ego. Yeah, I think that's really important when you have these characters that can have these these double lives. I think it's important when they start to blur the line between the two, and that's why yeah. characters like Norman and Harry are so important. Whereas Eddie Brock, it's like all right, whatever. Like or Cletus Cassidy, it's like okay. You know, it's like they don't have any impact on the character's life until Eddie Brock, you know, Eddie Brock knows Peter Parker's identity and stuff like that because of the symbiote. But that being said, with bringing up Eddie Brock, we've come to the transition point, right? So we went from Spider-Man 3, Raimi's, you know, sort of last entry, not not a beloved film. No, not good uh, at all. But it does put a cap on that trilogy. There was rumors for a little bit of a Spider-Man 4, perhaps with John Malkovich Mm -hmm. as the Vulture. We didn't really get too far beyond that. That movie got trashed. That movie was, I think, written. It was terrible. The ideas that were coming out of it were really bad. From what I read online, and this could be be all conjecture, so don't quote me on this. And I remember I've been reading up... We're totally going to quote you. We're going to quote you right now. Everyone quote Mike on this. I remember reading a lot about (laughs) Spider-Man 3. (laughs) I remember reading a lot about Spider-Man 3 that Sony was the one who pushed Venom on Sam Raimi and Sam Raimi just wanted to make a movie where Spider-Man fought Sandman and that was it and maybe maybe Harry Osborn became the second Green Goblin after that and they handled that very poorly the Green Goblin transitioned from or to New Goblin was was not great with his flying snowboard yeah Sandman I thought was the one compelling villain in that movie and they got some things right about the symbiote but it's it's like you get it Venom's popular but Venom is a character you can't rush to and that's that's what they do all the time. They sure. want to put Venom out there because Venom sells action figures and Venom sells t-shirts and people like Venom because he's a big monster. But you have to understand that Venom's a character that needs time. Spider-Man needs time with the symbiote. If you give him the yeah. symbiote and he has it for 20% of a movie, it's not going to have the impact that it has in the comic books. He should sure. be wearing that suit. Spider-Man should get the symbiote at the end of a movie. And this is not a pitch at all. But if you're going to go symbiote, Spider-Man should be getting the symbiote at the end of one movie, have it for the entire next movie, and then get rid of it at the end of that movie. Totally That's agree. how you do it. 
Yeah, Venom, it's not a character I like, but I agree, Mike. It's That's a deep lore character. There's a lot that needs to be understood before you can introduce him, and rushing him is really what ended up destroying Spider-Man 3. That and that abhorrent dance sequence. Holy God. Oh, jeez. I mean, it's it's good now for the memes. Oh, like, only for the memes. Spider-Man 3 fits in that same place that the Star Wars prequels Star Wars prequels. <laughs> where that, it's good just for the memes. If I can use Tobey Maguire, creepy Tobey Maguire memes, it's always good. It's always Absolutely. a good time. But yeah, Venom was just mishandled and they were making Spider-Man 4, but I don't think the main, I don't think the actors wanted to be part of it anymore. Yeah. And the script was that John Malkovich was going to play the, the Vulture. Which I which, think is actually good. Which yeah. is cool. I, I would actually be all about it. And then Anne Hathaway was supposed to be in it as, as Felicia Hardy, which okay. is cool, which yeah. is cool, but it wasn't going to be Felicia Hardy as Black Cat. Oh, well, then what's the point? Felicia Hardy was going to be the Vultress. Oh, no. Which is some sort of oh, sidekick to the vulture. Happen. Yeah, Good actually, Lord. what's hilarious is that obviously Anne Hathaway went on to be Catwoman or Selena Kyle because they never flat out call her Catwoman <laughs> even though she wears cat ears and, and wears a cat suit yes. in Batman The Dark Knight the Rises. fucking Chris Nolan is an apologist. That's why. Yeah, that's, it's like, well, we can't call her Catwoman. I actually thought that she was good as Catwoman. I, I actually liked that performance. Yeah, me too. I'm not crazy about The Dark Knight Rises, but I thought she was actually very good in that role. So it made me think, wow, well, she might have probably made a, probably would have made a good Felicia Hardy had they let her be the black cat and that's a character that really hasn't shown up at all in the spider-man movies uh since and then that movie just kind of falls apart so then they give us this strange middle child of the spider-man films and this has to be the quickest reboot turnaround in history because there is not a great span of years between spider-man 3 and the 2012 the amazing spider-man no, so Spider-Man 3, I think, is like 2008. Yeah, it's, and then, I, it's incredibly fast, the turnaround. In the amount of time it usually takes to make a movie, they make The Amazing Spider-Man, starring Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy. Now, I'll tell you this right now, great casting. Great casting. That movie has excellent casting. I think that I think that Emma Stone's a great, a great <laughs> Gwen Stacy. I really I will do. Watch, I will watch Emma Stone do anything in any role. I, sure, she was a great Gwen Stacy. She would have been a great Mary Jane. I would yep. watch Emma Stone as Spider-Man, frankly. In fact, I would love her Spider-Gwen movie if someone still wants to make that. I actually think that's a great idea, especially the further we get into these the multiverse moving forward. I think it would Hell be yeah. really cool. To and I think she'd be down do for it. Emma Stone's fucking cool. She would do it. Hey, she's got her Oscar, so why not, right? And I thought I thought Andrew Garfield was pretty good. My problem with Tobey Maguire was that I think Tobey Maguire was a very good Peter Parker, not a great Spider-Man. He didn't have the quips. He didn't have the the kind of groove. He was just kind of Tobey Maguire in a Spider-Man suit. Absolutely. Andrew Andrew Garfield was a little bit more Spider-Man-ish when he was in the suit. He was a little nastier than, say, your average Spider-Man, but I think some of the stuff he did was, he was mean. His Spider-Man was a little mean, but I thought it was pretty good. And the suit looked a little weird, but it was cool. They gave web shooters which was nice yeah but i did like andrew garfield's performance as both peter parker and spider-man so i i don't disagree i will say that we're, we're in an absolute goldilocks situation and we'll we'll talk about that when mm-hmm. we get to holland in a moment but yeah. the first time out we just had you know toby mcguire is a, a terrific actor great yeah. as peter parker not great as spider-man for me it was the opposite with garfield yes. i didn't like him as peter parker i thought he was you know too good looking and cool and nasty and sarcastic and bad boyish or even fuck boyish to really be an effective peter parker Parker. But then as Spider-Man, I thought he rocked. I thought he was he was a great yeah. Spider-Man. And we didn't we didn't get it right till till Holland, who I think is exactly in the middle of those and, and does it right. But The Amazing Spider-Man is not a good movie. Again, suffers from 
every problem that those movies usually does, you know, just overcomplicated, just bullshit, too many villains, all that crap, and just bad. Yeah, well, the first Amazing Spider-Man was just, you know, it was, it was just, it was fine. I think they did some stuff right. I liked, I, like I said, I, I thought Andrew Garfield was pretty good as Spider-Man, but the lizard was weird. The whole parent situation was strange. The lizard strange. just needed a snout. If he would have had a snout, I think he would have been much better. And then you get to the Amazing Spider-Man 2, which might actually be worse than Spider-Man 3. The only good thing about the Amazing Spider-Man 2, in my opinion, is the costume. Because I think it was the first time that they really nailed it. They gave us a Spider-Man costume that looked like the comic book costume, which yeah. was very rare at that time. But that was pretty much it. Everything else, it was like, it really did feel like an MTV movie. From Electro playing the itsy bitsy spider on power generators to shoehorning Harry Osborn's Green Goblin for Ugh. 30 seconds. Like, yeah. Like it wasn't, it wasn't good. It was just like a truly right. bad film. A truly bad film. Not even fun to watch. Just as like a hey, I'll put Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man two on in the background. Just truly bad. I'm going to correct myself. There's two good things about that movie. Oh, you're going to say the Rhino. One, yes. One, Spider Man's <laughs> costume. Two, Paul Giamatti's performance as the Rhino. You might think it's ridiculous. You might think it's terrible. It is perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, it's, yes. It's it that I'm I would be okay if if Marvel came back and we're like we're putting the Rhino in a movie, even if it's for five seconds. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a long time. Spider Man can fight a villain at the beginning of a movie for two minutes just to just to have a cool action sequence. And Paul Giamatti's Rhino was so ridiculous. That I like I him love too. it. I love I, it. And I I just like Paul Giamatti, but you yeah, want to he face does. He does spider. <laughs> he does a great job with that. Actually, his performance very much reminded me of just like a great cameo, like very yeah. similar to like Randy Savage back in the first Spider-Man yes. movie, where it's just yes. like you appreciate this, or even like the little Bruce Campbell drop-ins in the first three Spider-Man movies. Exactly. It was just, it was it was a fun something slightly more than a cameo. Of course, none of these top J.K. Simmons as Jonah Jameson, no. which is, it's the best performance in any Spider-Man movie in terms of adaptation. And I would argue that J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson is the most comic accurate portrayal of a comic book character across the board. Yeah, I agree. Across the board, better yeah, than period. everyone. I think better than any best. Batman, better than any adaptation of anybody, yes. He is perfect to the point where in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, J. Jonah Jameson isn't in the movie. In The Amazing Spider-Man Man 2, Peter Parker gets an email from J. Jonah Jameson that just says like, wrong, or nope, or no, or something like that. And I'm like, ah, that's J.K. Simmons. He wrote the email. Yeah. Once those movies were done and there was some sort of problem going on, I think they were aiming to eventually make a Sinister Six movie where Spider-Man fights the Sinister Six, but they also wanted to make a movie that was about the Sinister Six and them doing things. So there was some weird things going on right there with Sony. And then in steps Marvel. So Marvel had this incredibly successful run with the Avengers. They had this incredibly successful run with Iron Man and Thor, Captain America, the Hulk. All these characters were blowing up at the time. But at the same time, we were getting X-Men movies and Spider-Man movies that should be with them in the same universe, but existed outside of these Marvel movies because of deals that Marvel made in the late 90s when they went bankrupt. Now, we have to be thankful for the X-Men movies and the Spider-Man movies because without that, we would have no MCU. Marvel might have still been bankrupt at that time, but it felt empty. Right. I think we would be more forgiving of the Sony films if they were good. Most of the Sony films are, are bad. Yeah. Uh, we love Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. The X-Men movies over at Fox, like you said, yeah, the first X-Men was, was good at the time. It did not hold up. X-Men 2, I remember being good at the time. I haven't watched it in a long time, but X-Men 3 is terrible. X-Men Origins Wolverine is terrible. Terrible. X-Men First Class is okay. 
It's fine. It's okay. Base it's, hit. Base it's, hit. It's a base hit. It's not great, but we did get Michael Fassbender as Magneto and James McAvoy as Professor X. So that was always really cool. Days of Future Past is, is good. I like Days of Future Past. I, I really like it. I do like it. Logan is very good. Very good. Very good. And I think that the Wolverine is actually decent, except for the last like 10% of the movie. And I remember watching it. And I'm like, why is this movie getting bad reviews? Because it was really enjoyable up until like the last like 20 minutes of the film where it kind of all falls apart, which is really upsetting because it takes like a movie that would probably be a B and drops it down to like a C, C plus. So now we have Marvel making these movies. We have X-Men movies coming out over at Fox and Fantastic Four movies, but who cares? And then we have Spider-Man movies <laughs> happening at Sony. They're not talking to each other. No one likes anyone. And then out of nowhere, I remember the moment that it happened. I was sitting on my couch in my living room and I opened up my, I opened up my phone to look at Facebook and I see Sony and Marvel reach a deal to put Spider-Man in the MCU. And it was like, oh my God, finally, thank you. Because while the Avengers movies were great and I love them, I love the MCU, I love those characters, I love what they did with them, there was a Spider-Man-sized hole that needed to be filled. It was missing him. And you could tell, it was like the, it was like the universe was crying out in pain <laughs> that they needed their prodigal son to return. And he did. And when yeah. Spider-Man came home, it was like the coolest thing I ever saw. And the big thing was like, okay, cool. We're putting him in the Civil War movie and he's going to be in the third Captain America movie. That's the big features that we're bringing Spidey back. Right. And what a weird film to debut in, but he was, he was great. He was great. And who do they give us at the time? Nobody knew this kid, right? What was Tom Holland in before Spider-Man? Was he in I, I truly, I truly don't know. I, I don't know. I actually don't know. I f he was a relative unknown. They bring in him for Civil War, and I remember seeing like a couple of clips of Spider-Man shown in these trailers, and I'm like, wow, he looks good. He's, his voice is good. He sounds like a kid. He sounds like he's in over his head. It's everything perfect. And I remember seeing the film in the theater and just itching to the scenes where he's, he was going to show up. And Tom Holland, like you said, has hit the Goldilocks zone. He is both good at Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. He's good at Spider-Man. Yep. He has both roles completely down. And yep. he has brilliantly grown with the character as an actor and as the character in the, in the movies. The Spider-Man films, I think, the new Spider-Man movies, Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home, to me, and I'm incredibly biased, but I think they're some of the best Spider-Man films to ever come out. Yeah. And I think that they've only gotten better with time. And I don't really understand anyone's argument against them. To be perfectly honest with you, I think they handle everything for a Spider-Man that exists within this Marvel universe. I agree. I, I think they're they're wonderful films. They're they're actually very sensitive films, which is not something I really considered. But they manage to handle young life, teenage life, in a way that is quite caring and sensitive. Peter's emotional relationships with his friends and his his family matter every bit as much as his relationships to other people as Spider-Man and how he fits into the Avengers and his world with with Tony Stark and other. Marvel characters. These are these are wonderful films, and and Homecoming and Far From Home are both. Uh, sorry to to make a pun, but they're, they're both home run films. These are terrific. These are not just base hit, run of the mill Thor one, Thor two films. These are really really good movies. Really good movies that handle the character incredibly well. Great villains in both movies. I mean, yeah, Michael oh, fucking Keaton. Michael Keaton. Oh my god. Michael Keaton as Vulture is just so good. He was scary. He was terrifying. They made the Vulture scary, which oh, is something sure. the comic books could never do. He was amazing. 
the and cast- reveal that he is Liz Allen's oh. father in the movie is such a good twist of the plot. It it really was terrific. I didn't it see was, it coming. It was such it was such a what? It was such it was such an aha, oh my gosh moment. Like yeah, wow. That was fun. And even like the surrounding villains that he meets himself in that movie, he fights Shocker. They come across the Scorpion with McDonald Gargan. He even, <laughs> right. he even he even runs into early Prowler. Right? You have Donald Glover as, does. Uh, as, I, as Prowler, but not Prowler yet. Yeah, I, I kind of hope that they circle back around on some of those folks, because obviously Donald Glover is, is insanely popular now. Yes. I would love to see him back in any capacity, maybe as a mentor for Miles, if they ever bring in a Miles, or just as the Prowler himself, or as another character. I, um, it's, yeah. a, it's a rich world that they created, and I, I love that they really invested time in creating Peter's school friends. I mean, yeah. those relationships are, are so valuable, and the reimagining of Ned Leeds has been great. The reimagining of Flash has been wonderful, and I want to give a shout-out to Zendaya, Amazing. Who, this poor girl took so much heat for playing Mary Jane, just not looking like the traditional Mary Jane. But the reinterpretation of the character is, I think, gorgeous. Uh, I think she plays a wonderful person who I, Peter authentically cares about her. And if you're a good audience member, you authentically care about her. She loves him. The love between them is so natural and awkward and terrific. That's the best Peter and MJ that I've seen. I'm being honest with you. I, I love Kirsten Dunst. And to some degree, Tobey Maguire will always be my Spider-Man. But the better relationship is being had between Holland and Zendaya. I agree completely. And what I love about Spider-Man Homecoming is that not only is it a, a perfect Spider-Man movie, not only is it a wonderful represent, representation of the Marvel Universe and Spider-Man, it is a New York as New York is movie. Uh, you know, also at being New Yorkers, I think yeah. we have a special identity with Spider-Man as well. This was this was this was the home team for us is Spider-Man. You know, he's yeah. from Forest Hills. He has a Mike Piazza pennant in his bedroom. It's like, come yeah. on. Yes, he's a Mets fan. Yes, he lives in Queens. Yes, he's a Long Islander, really, right? So it's one of those things where it's like Spidey was always our guy. He's from down the block. When they go to the suburbs to go to a party in Spider-Man Homecoming, <laughs> it's like, yeah, we <laughs> it's it's flashbacks of high school for us. Yeah. And Zendaya as as MJ is just lights out good in both movies. And she yeah. As, as Tom Holland has, she has grown with the character. And as an actress, I just, I, I love watching her work in these films. I think she's awesome. I'm so excited to see her in Dune. I think she's going to rock in that. She's going to rock it. She's going to rock she's it. She's going to rock in Dune. And if the rumors are true, or if the internet gets what they want, if she's the, the protagonist of Kill Bill Volume 3, Ooh. all A-okay -A right there. I if think she's, Quentin would be all about that. Let's see if, if that she, happens. If, she, if, she's, if she plays uh, Vivica A. Fox's daughter, yeah. who comes after uh, Uma Thurman, I think that would be That would be great. Good. I would quite watch good. the hell out of that. I do want to say, I just want to give a shout out for, for two things that I really love in, in Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah. The first is, I think it was very hard to top the Michael Keaton performance as the Vulture, but I think you could hardly do better than Jake Gyllenhaal. And there's a special relationship here because Gyllenhaal was someone who was once considered as someone who could be in Spider-Man, if not as Peter, then maybe as Harry. His name was tossed around quite a bit in those Raimi films as being someone on the potential cast list. So for him to return now as someone in their late 30s playing this great, very hammy, scene-chewing version of a great character, Mysterio is not an easy character to adapt but they did it brilliantly and they did it respectfully within the context of the MCU, which 
when I say that, I mean, how does he relate to Iron Man, which is ultimately how we do anything in the MCU is, well, what what role did Tony Stark play in their lives? And that's how we got Vulture and Mysterio. I'm really looking forward to seeing who we might get for whatever this third film will be titled, Homesick, Home Run, who knows? My, my fingers, Mike, are still crossed for my dream, which is some kind of a finally getting that Sinister Six movie. I think eventually we're going to get there because as of right now with the Sinister Six, and let me let me just say, I'll, I'll tag on to this for a second. Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio Mysterio is awesome. They made Mysterio great. Mysterio is a joke in the comic books. He's a joke. Yeah. He's not Old interesting. fishbowl head. Yeah. He's, he's, he's interesting because he's so silly. And for some reason, they found a way to make Mysterio with his giant fishbowl head work in a film and using stuff that exists within the universe, which is great. That tech was so cool. And I don't think he's dead. Spoiler alert. I oh, do no not way. think Mysterio is no. dead. The no. master of illusion? Come on. They're banking They're banking all these characters. Notice they haven't really killed off anyone. I mean, unfortunately, Shocker, spoiler, uh, is, only is one gone. Shocker. Only one Cor- Shocker's dead. Correct. So we, we still maybe have a Shocker floating around, and they might go that route instead of Electro, which I think would be smart. Well, uh, so they, we'll see. They killed Montana. Was it, was it Montana as the Shocker? The Shocker? The first Shocker they killed. I think it might have been Montana, who is one of the enforcers, like the urban cowboy villains that Spider-Man fights here and oh, there. Oh, right. Yeah. He, he got killed, but Herman Schultz is still alive. You have Michael Keaton as Vulture is still alive. Adrian Toomes is still alive. Scorpion. Matt Gargan is still alive. He's in Raven, uh, Ravencroft or The Raft or wherever, whatever he is now. So that's three of them. You have Mysterio. That's four. So we need two more. We need two more. And if I'm leaving anyone out, like I don't know if they're going to put Tinkerer in the Sinister Six or if he's just going to be like their weapons guy. But you also have Tinkerer who's still around and maybe Prowler uh, if yeah. he becomes a villain. Now, one thing I do have to admit before we get to what we want to see out of a Spider-Man movie coming forward and I'm all in for the Sinister Six. I just think we need one more movie to get the other two before we get to a Sinister Six. I think Sinister Six has to be like a fourth movie. That's crazy to think about because we haven't even gotten Spider-Man 3 yet. The best, one of the best things that Spider-Man Far From Home did as validation to fans like Jordan and I who are fans of the Raimi movies is how do they wrap up the movie? Oh, thank you. This was the second thing I was going to mention, please. So because Mysterio is who he is, and he is delightfully evil. He uses his dying breath to tell the world via a video that he records who Spider-Man is and who gets a hold of this conspiracy video. No one other than J.K. Simmons playing J. Jonah Jameson once again as a alt-right maniac conspiracy theorist web show host a la Alex Jones, which is exactly how J. Jonah Jameson is handled in the newest Spider-Man video game. And the Daily Bugle is like InfoWars. That's exactly (laughs) what what it is. It's InfoWars.com. That's exactly what it is. It's Breitbart, basically. Yeah, exactly. So it is. And when he showed up on screen, I lost my mind. I did not look up any spoilers. I don't like my Spider-Man being spoiled. But when I saw J.K. Simmons show up doing his J. Jonah Jameson again, it was like, oh, thank goodness. Oh, this is the best thing that's happened to Spider-Man in years. Like this makes up for Amazing Spider-Man 2. Like, we're cool now. We're cool now because we have this new Spidey. And I'm so excited to see how that relationship grows with him and and, and the world maybe knowing Spider-Man's identity. I think, you know, much is owed here once again to Kevin Feige. I don't think we can ever thank this guy enough, but he seems to have his finger right on the pulse of exactly what the fans want. And I don't know if it's his decision directly, but he is certainly the one engendering a lot of really good conversations about how fans see the character and the experiences they want to have. Now, we've just spent the last quite a long time talking about the history of Spider-Man in comics and film, but you'll notice it's all moving in the right direction for movies. You know, it's 2020. This is a year basically without good news. Yeah. But there is good news coming out of Marvel. 
And there is good news coming out of the Spider-Man characters. So this is a property where, unlike some other things we've covered on the show, there's a lot of good things still coming from this yes. property. So Spider-Man continues to be a source of positivity and good feeling. And we, we do feel that, other than some strange Sony product, uh, products maybe coming down the pike, it's in good hands. So this is all moving in the right direction. I'm not talking about Morbius on this podcast. And I'm not oh, talking God. about Spider-Woman or Silver Fucking Sable. Jared or Leto, good yeah, God. Yeah, I just, I'm not, I'm good, I'm good. You're ruining us, Jordan Catalano. You're ruining us. <laughs> I think that the MCU should exist without an Avengers for a while. I think we should let some of the different heroes do some weird stuff. And I think Spider-Man is the perfect person to center on. What character works better in a world without an Avengers than Spider-Man? So, Mike, I think, I think it's time. So how about this? Now, I know you want me to go, all right, get the whole Sinister Six in here, but I do think we need one more movie. (laughs) It's fine. I'm I'm willing to hear whatever pitch you have. I think we need one more movie, and it needs to be called Venom and Carnage, our best buds, and everyone just high fives, and it's only Venom and Carnage the whole movie, because that's what the (laughs) internet has me believe. As someone who thinks that having a Venom movie without Spider-Man existing is a bad idea, the internet calls me an idiot for that. All right, so I'm not rushing. (laughs) I'm not rushing to Venom, and I'm not rushing to Carnage. Actually, I don't intend on using them at all. Good. I like the film already. Spider-Man's identity has been leaked by J. Jonah Jameson of the Daily Bugle. Spider-Man now has an enemy in some degree of the press and some degree of the public. Mysterio was looked upon as a hero by the people of the world for doing things in Italy to stop these, what do they call them, elementals or witches, as J.B. Smooth likes to say in the movie. (laughs) J.B. Smooth is wonderful. I love him. Oh, we love J.B. Smooth. So, oh, Frank the Plant, too, but we'll get to oh, that later. Frank the, oh, Frank the... Oh, my God, yes. We need to do a Harley Quinn episode. <laughs> yeah, we definitely do. Now, naturally, I think the natural progression is that because of the way the news media works today, half the people on the earth and half the people in the United States will just automatically dismiss anything J.K. Simmons says as a lie. Right. Half or more, half or more, because he's such a fringe journalist, journalist in quotation marks. His identity is out there. Spider-Man's life is now crossing over with his superhero life. And as always, as we've learned in the comic books, that is the worst thing to happen for Spider-Man. People know his aunt is. People know who MJ is. They know their relationship to him. This is bad. Ned's in danger. All of his friends are in danger. This is the worst thing to happen to Spider-Man. But also Spider-Man as a character who's just trying to figure out his identity within the world of the Avengers and other superheroes. Now his identity is challenged. Who he is as a hero is challenged. People know who Spider-Man is under the mask now. There are two villains that I want to use in this movie because I think that there's no better character to mess with identity than the chameleon. Oh, yeah. And I think that instead of making him some sort of weird costumer mask guy, I think that it it's it's really strange. He's also a member of the Sinister Six. I think that you maybe can use mutants a little bit. Maybe the chameleon in this instance is a mutant who can transform mm. and shapeshift, you know, shapeshift into Peter Parker and mess with his life and mess with his human personal life while someone else is messing with his superhero life. Because there's a certain character out there that loves a challenge, a character that's hunted every major animal on the earth. And now there's only one animal that he can hunt. And that character is Craven the Hunter. And he wants to hunt Spider-Man down. And he knows who he is. And he works with the chameleon to mess with Spider-Man's life to kind of almost control him to a point Mm. where he can hunt him down. And I think you make a movie with Craven and the chameleon that makes Spider-Man afraid to do anything. And it's also a good way to develop more of the Peter Tingle. (laughs) 
as you know, Spider-Man knows that someone's on his trail. Spider-Man knows that something's not right here. What if Chameleon transforms into MJ? What if Chameleon transforms into Adrian Toomes? So you've got these characters that can really mess with Spider-Man's identity. And I think my pitch for this is that ultimately, by the end, Spider-Man's life is kind of in shambles. And he has to rebuild his life to a degree based on what the events that happen. And he himself goes through some significant psychological trauma after not sleeping and not eating. Kind of like the Torment series, right? Right. Where the entire series you're hearing, he's all he hears are these drums. Doom. Doom, 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 going through his head. Now, while that's not necessarily the case in my pitch, I think that knowing that you're being hunted is terrifying. And if Spider-Man knows that someone's out for his blood, not because he wants to do anything else, he just wants to kill the Spider-Man so that he can have him as a trophy. I think that's terrifying. And I think the Marvel Universe is in need and I think that they know this is happening, especially with some of the things they're doing with like Scarlet Witch and Doctor Strange and this weird kind of getting into the weird a little bit. The Marvel Universe can use a healthy dosage of darkness, suspense, fear, horror. And characters like Craven and Chameleon can really do that for Spider-Man's life. And I think that's a really great way to turn it into almost like a thriller. Like he's always on the run. Ooh, so a change in tone. Yeah. yeah, I think a little bit of a change in tone because unfortunately, I love Spider-Man. I love Peter Parker, but the most interesting Spider-Man stories are when his life is terrible. His life can't be good. Giving Peter Parker a good life is always cheap as seen in the whole like one more day thing when he's got Parker Industries and he's like on top of the world and he's, you know, super wealthy and he's doing all this stuff. It's like, you're not Iron Man, kid. That's, yeah. that's the movie. You're not Iron Man. And I would love to see him rely less on the tech and more on his abilities. I, I think that would be really great. And I and what would I call it? I don't know. At this point, they're doing that whole home thing and me giving you a pitch, I don't know what to do. I do like homesick. Like he can't mm. return home because he's trying to escape from this crazy hunter that's after him. But one other feature I want in this movie, and I've brought this up on another podcast, is I want Peter Parker to have to go after the Daily Bugle in a legal sense because this I want him to go after the Daily Bugle oh. for defamation of character. He'll, he'll need a lawyer. Mike. He'll need Could a lawyer. You, do you have someone in mind? Well, there are two lawyers in mind that I have and one oh, of no. them One of them one is of, not a good idea. One of them is giant in green. She's oh, a no. single green lawyer. No, no, no. Here, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want him to go to her but she's way too, way too expensive. <laughs> So who does Peter Parker have to go to? Well, he has to take a trip to Hell's Kitchen oh, yeah. to go see this blind, beat-up lawyer who can't keep a client, who can't keep his lights on, and ask for his help. And I want Charlie Cox to come back as Daredevil oh, yeah. because he is so good. And I want Foggy Nelson to be the same actor, too, the guy from The Mighty Ducks. I love those two. I think they're wonderful. Actually, you know what? I hope they import the entire Daredevil cast into the MCU, and I think Spider-Man's a great bridge to do that. But I think he has to go see Matt Murdock. And I think this is where they kind of build their friendship. And Matt Murdock might be a great ally when you're going up against a character who can transform into someone yeah. because he can hear their heartbeat. He'll know they're lying. He's know oh, they're, he knows they're not them. I love that. Mike, do you have any casting uh, ideas for Craven the Hunter or do. for the Chameleon? Oh, go ahead. I have had the same casting for Craven the Hunter for many, many years now, ever since I saw No Country for Old Men. Oh. I want Javier Bardem to be Craven the Hunter. Wow, Javier would be great. With a big beard. <gasps> and, with yes. the, and I want him decked out, man. I, I obviously put give him pants, all right? We don't want the, the loin. Oh, the, come on. We don't want the loincloth. I want, but I do be want fair. the, I want the lion vest and I want some pants. I want some like, you know, hunter pants, but I want Javier Bardem to play Craven the Hunter. Chameleon, wow. 
I don't really have an idea of who Chameleon could be. Well, I guess a chameleon could be anybody, right? Anybody. Gary Oldman. He is a chameleon. You, never I don't know. you don't know who it is. Mike, I've been Gary Oldman this whole time. Viewers, you can't see this, but I, I've just taken off my mask. Oh, well. List, the listeners don't know. It's good to know that I've been friends with Gary Oldman for all these years. Sorry, you had to find out this way. The reason why I came with this pitch with Chameleon and Craven is that the two characters actually have history together in the comic books. Uh, they chameleon do. works They're for Craven. Aren't they, forgive me if I'm, I'm way off on this, aren't they both Russian agents in some way? Yeah, I think Chameleon is some sort of Russian agent, and that also ties into Black Widow, as I think we're getting a new Black Widow very Ooh, soon. Yeah. Uh, so there's, yeah. there's different ways we can do this. There's definitely, Oh definitely. my goodness, does this mean there's room for a Florence Pugh cameo? Because then you yes. know you, ha- you have my money. Yeah, of course. Oh yeah. Of course, I mean Spider-Man. I'll, I'll buy two tickets, please. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, you know, this could tie into Black Widow with Yelena Belova becoming, obviously, getting becoming the next Black Widow in the next movie. Wow, uh, maybe I she comes to help Spider Man because you know she's tracking down Craven or something. Yeah, like that. or yeah, or, I, or Chameleon. Now I need that cameo. This was promised to me. Make All right, this happen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't get too far from what they might be doing because there are a lot of Craven rumors going around right now. There what are, are the Craven- odds on on probably Jason Momoa? Do we think that is likely? I would love Jason Momoa as Craven. He's not my first pick. He is a fan favorite, and I think Jason Momoa is. is awesome. He's awesome. I think he's also, awesome. They're they're letting the DC guys play Marvel characters a lot more frequently now. It seems like you can play for either team. Yeah, and vice versa, right? Yeah. I mean, so I I I think Jason Momoa would be a, a home run of a pick. I think Craven might be the villain. He's also a Sinister Six guy, so that gets us a little closer to the Sinister Six. It gets us away from Venom. That movie was garbage it was terrible now would i take tom hardy as eddie brock within the mcu yeah actually i would and i think that i think that at some point if you want to do a venom great but spider-man's been to space now so if you want to give him a symbiote maybe now's the time sure if they go towards secret wars maybe as the Mm -hmm. next big event that could be something mike i have a little sidebar question for you definitely germane to this conversation we can acknowledge that craven and chameleon are two awesome important villains and i would watch the hell out of the movie that you just pitched but if we're being honest with ourselves spider-man's top three villains have not been represented yet. When is a time when we can finally bring back characters like Green Goblin, Dr. Octopus, or I guess we established Venom we need to build up to, but what what do we do about Green Goblin and Doc Ock, arguably the top two? I personally think that, well... I don't know. I don't know. My original thought when the Avengers Tower was being sold was that it was sold to Oscorp. Hmm. I thought that would have been awesome, but I I'm not sure who it's sold to because that whole plot line happened before the Fox and Disney deal happened. Yeah. So at that point in time, it's like, oh yeah, we got a buyer, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh cool, maybe it's Oscorp. That would be really cool. And then we can introduce Storm and Norman. I don't know (laughs) if, I feel like that might be the Baxter building. If it is Oscorp, I think you can introduce Norman Osborn in the next Spider-Man movie. I think you introduce Norman and Harry in the next Spider-Man movie. And as characters that exist within the universe, they don't necessarily have to get to Green Goblin right away, but maybe Spider-Man thwarts Norman Osborn's and Oscorp's interests enough that he starts looking into ways of stopping him. It's just, it's hard for me as a, a Spider-Man lover, and I, I love Spider-Man almost as much as you do. I will not profess the same level of love that you have. But when I think of Spider-Man in my mind, I always think of the iconic covers yeah. of Spider-Man versus the Green Goblin or Spider-Man versus Dr. Octopus. And I, I would just love to see that in a Tom Holland film. You know? And I think we'll get there. I think we'll get there. I think Sp- I think Tom Holland's in on Spider-Man and watch my speculation be incredibly wrong, but I think Tom Holland's in on this thing for a long time. I think that I think that's so the way to do it with him. I think you sign him up for 10 years. 
put out eight movies, you know, put him in a bunch of stuff. And I think Norman Osborn's a perfect character that you can introduce in other films. You can introduce him with the Fantastic Four. You yeah. can introduce him with a competitor to, to Stark. Now that Tony Stark is dead and nobody believes in Stark Industries anymore, mm-hmm. I think it's a perfect time to bring in Norman. And he works on so many levels, whether it's whether he's leading the Dark Avengers or something at some point. But like, it's great. And I think Green Goblin's necessary. It's, uh, you need to get there. I agree. What I think is so funny is that Norman Osborn slash the Green Goblin is probably the villain with the highest potential. It's almost like, why wouldn't you use him? Because the character, in terms of importance and personality association, is simultaneously the Marvel Universe's Lex Luthor yep. and its Joker in the, yep, same in the same character. So it's like, wow, get this guy going. Frankly, give this fucking guy his own film. Yeah, I, I would be very interested to see what they do with Norman Osborn because I think he's coming and I'm very excited to see it happen. And very excited for that casting. Sure. I also think that when you Give brought- me a Thunderbolts film. How about uh, that? I Actually, I'm all about Thunderbolts. I'm all about a Thunderbolts film, and I think it will happen. There have been theories tossed around, and there have been rumors tossed around that they were, they were considering making a Thunderbolts film at some point, and I think that would be really, really cool. But you also brought up Dr. Octopus. Yes. Well, in my opinion, you can't have a Sinister Six- without the master planner. And there's no yeah. master planner without Dr. Octopus because that's no, who Dr. Octopus is. He's the boss. He's the boss of the Sinister Six. Here's my casting for Doc Ock. Do it. Mark Hamill. Oh my God. That would be fucking unbelievable. <laughs> wow. There are a few names that get me that excited. Mark <laughs> Hamill would be an amazing Dr. Octopus. I like that he's a little bit older. I love that he's Mark Hamill. Put him back in a fucking film. Yeah, that's that's perfect. I will not even try to compete with that. Yeah, I Mark- will say Mark Hamill can gain some weight for the role, but otherwise, great. No, yeah, I yeah, know. I love Mark Hamill. I think he would be an amazing Dr. Octopus. He's so wow. good as a bad guy. Like, put I'd him be in all there. about that. That's I'd- so good, Mike. I love it. I love it. But that's my pitch, man. All of me wants Craven's Last Hunt, but I think that doesn't necessarily stick, sorry for the pun, as well <laughs> with a younger Spider-Man. I think you need a more experienced Spider-Man for Craven's Last sure. Hunt. But, I but think you know what? The, the crucial scene should still happen. He, he should, should still win and he should still bury Spider-Man. I think if that happens in the next Spider-Man movie, oh my God, yeah. I would lose it. I think that's almost as big as Willem Dafoe getting impaled with his own glider. Like that's a scene that needs to happen. <laughs> right? Spider-Man needs to be buried alive. And I think that would be so cool. And actually, it works with my theory because if Spider-Man gets buried alive, Kraven doesn't become Spider-Man in that instance like he does in the comic book, but, but you have the chameleon. That combination works really well. And actually, Mike, I would say for maybe the first time on this show, you actually have a pretty legitimate chance of some of the things in your pitch being actually used. Oh, you don't think Slam Masters is going to happen? Now, you know what? We got long odds on Slam Masters, man. But I think of all the shows that we've recorded so far, and listeners, if you've been with us this long, you might have heard, we had a a fairly decent Bioshock episode where I thought some of my ideas might get used. And actually, the little bit of rumors that are floating around, that is true. I think similarly, Mike's pitch today on the Spider-Man stuff, I think it's very plausible. I think a lot of these ideas are, are so good that they, in fact, might be some of the ideas that the big guys have kind of already had. Yeah, no, I think I think this is actually kind of likely. And I'm not just saying that because it's my pitch. I feel that that's the direction they want to go in. Yeah. And also, as a sidebar before we wrap up here, Sam Raimi's back with Marvel movies, guys. Oh, yes. Like, this is great. Delicious. This is a great time to be a Marvel fan. It's a great time to be a Marvel movie fan yeah. because... I hope to God that Marvel and Sony can do something to where we get a we get a little bit of, of Tobey Maguire, even if Andrew Garfield. I'll take it. Give me a second. No, give think, me a second. 
I think we will because, you know, one of the things that Sony got right was Spider-Verse, of course, yes. which oh, everyone, so everyone loves. Everyone loves Spider-Verse. So I think they will try to do something with that, even if it is a weird Sam Raimi moment in the next Doctor Strange movie, or if they eventually do something where there is an offshoot with the Spider-Verse. I think people really enjoyed that. And hopefully we get one more Bruce Campbell cameo. I would love that too. All right. Well... That's my pitch. Jordan, thank you so much, man, for appreciating it. And I think it, I, I think it might not happen exactly as I planned it out, but I think it, it's likely that well, we will see Craven at least in the next Spider-Man movie as a villain. Yeah. Thank you, Mike, oh, Prince of Spiders. Oh, well, well, thank you, oh, Mystic Spider King. From- <laughs> yeah, we don't think of these ahead of time, by the way. <laughs> So everyone, thank you so much for listening. This was a joy to talk about Spidey at this length. He's a character, like I said earlier, that's very near and dear to us. And we had such a great time talking about this pitch. Now you can always find us on the internet, wherever you internet. So we're on Facebook and Twitter and all those places. Instagram, please follow us, like us, share with your friends. If you don't like our ideas, please let us know because that is great. We like when people like stuff. We like when people hate stuff. It allows us to have a conversation, which ultimately is what this show is about. As always, make sure to like and subscribe, write a little comment, give a rating if you want, even if your rating is, I don't really like how Mike's voice sounds. I'm okay with that. You fucking Um, dicks. Don't say that. (laughs) But as always, for Jordan Hugh, I'm Mike Staub. Jordan is the best co-host I could ever have asked for on this show. And Jordan, you're the man. Thank you. Mike, you're fine. Oh, all right, good. Adequate, adequate co-host. Dude, listen, I'll take it. I'll take it. And remember, with great podcasting comes great podcastability. Thanks again for listening to yet another episode of How About This. We hope you had a great time with our take on Spider-Man, and we cannot wait to share more of our episodes with you. So be sure to check out your podcatcher every single week for new episodes. And if you have any ideas of what you would like us to talk about, please feel free to drop us a line. Let us know what you'd like to hear. You're our listeners after all, and we want to talk about what you want to hear about. Also, please be sure to give us a like or a subscribe, give us a review, and help this podcast become more visible. Thank you so much once again, and we'll see you next week with a whole new episode of How About This.